to that business owner who is looking at this issue, you have a choice to approach this from a position of challenge or curiosity. You can challenge it, right? And there's going to be some conflict because you may be trying to hold on to ideals and processes that you don't need to hold on to. You may or may not. I don't know. Only you can judge that. However, if you approach it with curiosity, then you have the ability to co-create with your younger employees, to co-create as people are coming in, to see if you can speed up that process to get them to be working in that unique ability. And that's going to increase your productivity. And when you have happy people that are working and your productivity is increasing, that should increase your profits as well. This is the Beats Working Show. We're on a mission to redeem work, the word, the place, and the way. I'm your host, Mark Wright. Join us at Winning the Game of Work. The current generation entering the workforce may have more power than any generation in decades. As baby boomers age out, there are simply fewer workers to replace them. That competition for talent, along with changes brought about by the pandemic, has a lot of employers asking, where is the line now between entitlement and advocacy? In other words, what's the new normal when it comes to attracting, compensating, and retaining workers? We gathered a panel of top entrepreneurs to tackle the issue for this month's episode of Contributors Corner. All are past guests of the Beats Working podcast. The panel includes Shannon Waller from Strategic Coach, Jeff Koss, owner of Koss Tailored, Dr. James Bryant, CEO of Engineer Your Success, and Andre Brisson, host of the Impulsive Thinker podcast. Now, our contributors all agree this is a new normal, but they also offer strategies for both employers and employees that can work in any business and at any stage of your career. Well, as we start out, I feel like we've won the brain trust lottery here when I look at the people we have assembled for Contributors Corner this month. This is going to be so much fun. Welcome to Contributors Corner. This is a monthly feature of the Beats Working Winning the Game of Work podcast. So in this month's episode, we're going to examine entitlement versus advocacy in the workplace. A shift is taking place in the American workplace and probably Canada as well, since we've got some Canadian representation as well, seems to be handing more power to employees than ever before. I think, you know, the pandemic really accelerated some of this as remote workers showed that they could do more in less time while working from home. And and now as more baby boomers retire, competition for fewer workers is also driving this trend. So let's just jump in and introduce our contributors today. We have Shannon Waller from Strategic Coach, Jeff Koss from Koss Tailored Manufacturing, Dr. James Bryant, founder of Engineer Your Success, and Andre Brisson, host of the Impulsive Thinker podcast. So great to have all of you here. Welcome and thank you. You're, oh, you're welcome. welcome. Thank you for going to be here. Thanks. Great to be here. Okay. Before we jump in, I'd love to hear from each of you a brief statement about the current work that you're doing, and then also what the workplace was like when you first started in your career. So Shannon, let's start with you. <laughs> okay. Shannon Waller here. Uh, Montreal team strategist is my favorite unique ability title that I have. Um, and so what I'm up to is a bunch of things. So I'm one of Dan Sullivan's creative collaborators, work on the quarterly books and inside strategic coach podcast. Also am with, in, in partnership with a colleague in, char- in charge of all of our team plus programs. So all of our associate programs we have for team members of our clients uh, and, and, I'm also a coach, 10X coach. I'm also sitting in the marketing seat at the moment. Um, so a few, a few things to keep me off the streets. Um, but what's interesting when I started, so I started in July of 1991, so, so 32 years ago. And I was really hired during a recession. So 1991 was not a fun time to be looking for work. And I was very grateful to be able to find coach and them to find me. And it really was a great, a great match. But it was a lot of scarcity from my side, from the employee's side, about where am I going to work. And I left a very, for for my age, I was 26 when I joined, um, I left a very well-paying job. I worked a kajillion hours. I had the highest billable hours in the company, mostly now because I knew I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing and I wasn't all that quick at it. Um, but that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, so I just, so it was a very, very, very different work environment. And then I stepped into sales so it was sink or swim, you know, seller, <laughs> seller, bail, 
fortunately I swam. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of how it all, it all started for me. Wow. That's really interesting. And Shannon, if, if those of you listening are not familiar with strategic coach, it's an amazing organization. Uh, Google that stuff as my wife Mm -hmm. says, Shannon, thank you. Andre, let's go to you current work. And, uh, what, what was it like when you started out in the workforce? Uh, for me, I've got an engineering company, that uh, entrepreneurial engineering company, which is an oxymoron on its own, um, solving the most impossible things that most engineers give up on. Um, also got uh, Tactical Breakthroughs, which I'm working with high-achieving ADHD entrepreneurs with the help with my podcast, uh, The Impulsive Thinker. And for me, when I started, it was definitely totem pole. You're on the bottom. You have to work your way up. We had the if you work hard, extra hours, you're going to make it through. You can succeed. You can sit in the corner office. Um, that was the corporate world. And I went to an entrepreneurial company, which was the same mentality, but I had a lot of freedom to do stuff. But in the end, when I started my first engineering company, I, did, I didn't like the way that work style was. So I've, you know, whatever one's saying they're demanding today, I've been providing it since 2007. Because um, I did not like that idea of someone owning you and not caring about you and understanding you. Um, It's one of my drives my whole life is why are you unique? Why are you different? And let's make that to your benefit, which benefits everyone around. So definitely old school, work hard, shut up, do what you're told, even though it's not right. Um, Just shut up and make the (laughs) boss look good. And Andre, you probably weren't very, Shannon here, you probably weren't great at that anyway. So no wonder you created environment. Definitely highly <laughs> unemployable for sure. <laughs> Andre has a, told us that in the past. He was very unemployable, yeah. Yeah. which has led to his current success. All right, James, what about you? Current work and uh, what things were like when you started? All right. This is James Bryant. I am a executive coach. I run Engineer Your Success, where I serve as your guide to winning at work and at home. So I help engineers and business owners with a STEM background design and live a life where they can win at work and at home. Um, really enjoy being on the podcast, Mark, when we had when we had our episode. But it, in terms of when I started out at work, very similar to what Andre was saying. So I started out in my engineering career. It was, hey, here here's all of the guidebooks. Here's all of the things that you need to read through. Go in this corner, figure it out. And the whole mentality, particularly for the generations before me, was you find yourself a good, you know, stable job. You work there for a gazillion years and then you retire and maybe you do something that you that you like to do. But this is kind of what's going to be expected of you. Great phrase. Yeah. Expected of you. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's cool. All right. Jeff Koss. Yeah, tough question. So the working part, what I spend my day most of the time doing is helping uh, organizations and people, people in those organizations, apply flow thinking uh, in everything they do. So uh, it's cool that that's uh, a bunch of helpers here. So I'm not sure how much help I give them, but we have a good time. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, the workplace, I worked in, in my, my dad's small business. So that uh, it was just get to work. Um, there wasn't really for me much of a idea that I had to climb anything because I was busy cleaning toilets and stuff. So, um, so yeah, the work environment at that time, I, we were a small business, so it was, it was really just about, uh, growth and, and, you know, survival. So very minimalistic. So my experience is a little bit different than the rest, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff, you've said in, you know, previous episodes, even though that you make industrial furniture, you you're in the business of developing human beings. And, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah. I, I've gotten to know your story by now. My you know man. us. You know us well. That's Thank awesome. You. Well, I wanted to start our discussion today just by I, I pulled a few surveys from various publications: Fortune, Insider, CNBC, um, and I just want to just see what you guys think about this. Uh, a new survey from Handshake found that 80% of upcoming college graduates have already experienced burnout, and they worry they will experience burnout once they start working. 80%. These are college seniors. Gen Z expects their employer to support their mental health and work-life balance, meaning companies that offer mental and health benefits will see benefits. Um, from Insider, working in an office full-time is a no-go for some people who desperately want remote work. 
A recent survey from Bankrate found that 64% of U.S. workers would rather work fully remote instead of fully in-person. The study also found 68% of people support a hybrid model over being fully in-person. And when they can't get that flexibility, they are willing to leave a job to get it. And one more. Uh, This is from CNBC. Workers overwhelmingly want a four-day work week uh, on one condition. So according to a new survey, 87% of U.S. workers say they'd be interested in a four-day work week. 82% believe widespread adoption would be successful, but this decreases to only 51% of workers supporting when coupled with a no remote remote work uh, clause in that. So that's just sort of a tidbit of some recent surveys of kind of what's going on in the American workplace. And I'd love to hear from the group and whoever wants to jump in, maybe let's start with with uh, Shannon. Shannon, uh, you know, your HR department sent over some really interesting thoughts and they, they sort of mirror what, what some of those surveys uh, said. And I was intrigued by, by what your folks sent over. What are you guys seeing when it comes to what the expectation is as people are entering the workforce? There's a lot, and I got a, a wonderful list because I'm not involved in most of the hiring, which is, by the way, a really good thing because that would be bad if it was. So I got a deep dive from our phenomenal team who does recruiting. And I, I do want to make one caveat. Um, not unlike you, Jeff, I've always worked for entrepreneurial companies, right? So I think one of the important distinctions here is are, is are we talking about people joining large corporate organizations or are we talking about people joining entrepreneurial companies? Because there is a Massive vast difference. difference in terms of expectations and deliverables. And I have a, I have a sense that, to kind of answer your question, Mark, is that people are taking back their autonomy. They're taking back ownership of their time. They're taking back agency over their life and their lifestyle because the old contract that used to exist is you would, if you worked really long and really hard, then you would have lifetime employment or something yeah. equivalent, right? That promise went out the window in the 80s. a long time ago. In the yeah. 80s, right? When, I actually, I didn't <laughs> yeah. even say this. I worked for a small company before Strategic Coach. I, I graduated in 87. That's when I was first looking for work. So it was scarce, slim pickings. Um, so I think that that contract is gone, um, which has its pluses and minuses, obviously. I think there's a lot more opportunity to do with the work that they love to do, that they find fulfilling, that's good, great for them, great for their families. I think people do want to make a contribution. I don't think people want to be lazy or purposeless. I don't see that at all. Uh, but if they are going to work, and they're very aware of the exchange of commitment of time and, and energy in exchange for time and money, right? They're very clear on that dynamic. And so it's up to employers to make it worth their while and to treat them as full human beings as opposed to cogs in a wheel. We're, we're now completely into the world that I can see of creative human work as opposed to being cogs, cogs in a wheel. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a different world. And I, and I actually kind of enjoy the changes. I, I want to work with people with agency and ownership and creativity, uh, but it is very challenging for, for workplaces for sure. This is James. What I was going to say is that there is a difference between a corporate, a large corporation and an entrepreneurial corporation. However, the younger generation that are coming, they don't have the contract that we had. They're, they're not trying to take back their time or recapture their life from a, a working perspective. This is the expectation that they have coming in. Yeah. So there are, you know, we're, we're in, we have a mixed generation workforce. So there are some people who have had that aha moment and now they they are want to recapture their time. They've experienced freedom. You know what was going on in the pandemic, working from home, and that kind of opened up a floodgate. But there's a whole subset of folks that never experienced the other part of what we all experienced. We were talking about earlier. Yeah, but James, the other thing I said, they saw their parents. Yes, right. They saw their parents. I mean, I've worked yes. with strategic coach for 32 years. Do you know how weird that is? <laughs> no one's worked anywhere for 32 years anymore. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but yeah, so so it could be their generation. It could be a previous generation where it's just, you know, three to five years is a long time in yeah. a company these days. Um, so I, I agree with you, but I do think there are past models that they're like, mm, that, ain't, that ain't me. And they're off to something different. Yeah, Andre yeah. here, like, 
I remember in grade school and high school, so late 80s, early 90s, we were told at that time we would have five career changes or five job changes. So I think what's happened is even Gen Xers, we didn't like what we saw when we first got on the job site. It's slowly converting. Like I created a new environment. People were starting to see it, but it rushed up. But like, like to James' point, like it's what their expect, expectations are. It's not necessarily reality. Right. <laughs> but at the same, and then we always seem to forget about the reality thing and live in, um, yeah. in an imagination land, fantasy land. But at the same time, the surveys mark you reference, it's everyone who was willing, even COVID that was frustrating me. Everyone saying, I'm willing to leave my job if, 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 but there's no surveys out there about who actually did. So mm. that's the missing information for me, but there's a difference between expectation and realities and the trend I'm kind of seeing entitlement versus advocacy. We talked about, there's a difference between being titled, being I demand this versus mm-hmm. I require these accommodations, therefore I will benefit you and me. There, that's a su- subtle difference. To Shannon's point, I think it, there's a trend that had been coming, going on, um, and it's it's finally here. It was just kind of thrown in our face. But you know, it, entitlement versus advocacy is a really good point that needs to be understood here. I just want to weigh in on that because I, at least one of our sayings at coach, one of the things I wrote about in my team success handbook was a no entitlement attitude. Mm -hmm. Like we actually ask in our interview process, what do you think you're entitled to as a result of working with coach? And if they answer anything, (laughs) they're out (laughs) of the process. Wow. Like if they say nothing, I just want to, I want to contribute and expect, you know, compensation and stuff like that. Great. We can talk. If they say, oh, I think I'm entitled to blah, 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 blah. Bye-bye. Right. It's just not, it's not an option to work with us in an entrepreneurial company because we're all about value creation. We're all, you know, it's not about what we're entitled to. A bureaucracy is a better fit for that. Right. And that's the other thing. That's the other note I had here was actually about, you know, people want to do less and make more, but there's no talk about improving value by working less. That's where I kind of get a bit of an issue here. I don't care if you want to do less or work less or work less stuff you're not good at, but we got to build value here and not just be entitled to make more by physically doing less. Yeah. Jeff, I'd love to hear from you. You've got a lot of employees, and I think in an email that we exchanged before you know, our time here today is that you, you, you feel a, not guilty, but you, you feel like things are going really well when it comes to aligning your work with people who uh, you hire. Yeah, we've been lucky um, and we might have done something right. And it's always hard to know which part is which. Um, <laughs> um, but all these survey things like I want this too. Like, uh, so um, if they've experienced burnout at any age, um, uh, they had a hand in it, but the way that we've organized businesses causes it. And this is why we are so passionate about creating flow. Uh, when you organize a work with 50% of the time being one of the seven wastes, it causes burnout. So that's a little bit heartbreaking to hear that. Um, um, if you heard that my little factory cut off one finger a day just because you know we operate our business in such a way, I'd probably be on the news on day three. And if I said, well, everybody has 10 fingers, got 150 people, that's 1,500 fingers. So give me a few more months because I'm still trying to figure out how to run my business, you know, in a way we'd be on the news. Right. But somehow it's okay to give somebody four hours a day of pure crap, harming them, harming them, their, their health by causing anxiety related to other things. So, so why is it that we're allowed to basically abuse people for a living? Um, but we can't cut off fingers because my grandpa had new, he lost a couple of fingers and all he had was great stories to tell. Right. So, so I look at this and I'm like, this list is great. Do I want to work a four-day work week? Our factory already is. I'm trying to figure out how to live within a three-day work week because these constraints cause innovation. Um, and then this other part, with, within this, like, keeping agency, James, I think that's a great point. This generation has lived with agency. They actually know maybe what that word means. They don't want to give that up. They saw their parents maybe or maybe didn't. But uh, so... Um, so I see these as, yeah, yes, do that. Society could be a lot better if we were working four days a week for money, but also spending time serving each other uh, the other three days a week. So, yeah, so I look at these surveys results and go, yep, I want more of that. How do, how do we do that? Um, it's a reasonable request. And I would, and Jeff, ahead, I would yeah. add to Andre's point, 
in a way in which we're mutually creating value. Correct. Has to be, right? has you to want be. To yeah. work less, you want to work less, but it has to be in a way in which we are mutually creating value. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to end up like some of those countries where they give give away, you know, give away too much, and then pretty soon they're insolvent. No, um, it's not about giving you know, it away just to be... Uh, yeah. This is Jeff again. Yeah. It's not about giving away. It's it's let's create value together. Let's do it so efficiently that we have time for other things. So we have yeah. to finance our uh, ability to play or, or live by working together. And the method for me is just work without waste so we have more time to goof off. So it's uh, I'm a business person. I'm not a socialist. I don't believe in handouts in any way whatsoever. But I don't think that we yeah. should be able to operate our business in such a way that hurts people. So yeah, thanks for that. And a lot of people at Sandra keep forgetting who pays the bills. We keep wanting this stuff for us, but it's the customer that lacks, that gets hurt in the end, just like the tech world right now. Yeah, they're giving people all this time off and stuff, but the customer service goes bad. And then I just got two two rate increases because they can, right? So in the end, we got to remember it's the customer. Like I remember some guy said, I can give you less time to work, but how does that benefit the customer in the end? Because they pay the bills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Value creation. You know, what's interesting is that there's, uh, you know, I don't think we ever would have seen this in the past, but there's uh, a county uh, near Seattle, uh, San Juan County, and they've gone to a four-day work week for their uh, entire workforce, not, not counting first responders. Um, you'd never would have seen that in the past, but they said they're doing it so that they can be more competitive in attracting the best candidates for the job. Um, we work a four-day work week at Work P2P, um, company founded by my boss, Stan Rogers. Um, I went to the doctor the other day. I go to a, a pretty uh, amazing me- uh, metabolism doctor uh, because I have what's called metabolic syndrome. Um, and she does extensive labs every four months, like mm-hmm. like super extensive, measures everything in the body you can possibly measure related to metabolism. And she said, oh, my gosh, your stress hormone is the lowest it's ever been in 10 years. Yes. And I don't wow. think this is a I don't think this is a coincidence. <laughs> this is mm. the first lab I've had since since uh, starting. Well, the second starting this this amazing journey uh, with Dan Rogers um, and everything else. Everything else is optimal. And. So there's actually scientific proof but is that <laughs> yeah. in this study of one. Is that because you're working four days or the environment's better suited for you? It's or all both. of the above. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's an amazing team. Um, you know, Dan, my boss, is like, hey, make mistakes at full speed. I'm, I'm going to support yeah. you. Let's let's go for this. And then you got um, Tamara picking you up. Yeah, <laughs> Tamara, <laughs> our, our show producer, who literally keeps me on track, and I love her. Uh, even though, you know, she's, she's my, well, Andre's my second favorite Canadian. Tamara's my first favorite Canadian. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to work hard to get up on that list. Yeah. I know, Shannon. I, I forgot about Shannon. You know, what I would love to jump into at this point is that I'm sure there are a lot of business owners at this point who maybe, maybe are doing it the old way. Um, and they're still sort of thinking this, thinking of this as a struggle with the new generation of employees. I'd love for us to kind of give, let's give that business owner or business manager some some advice on how to navigate these waters so it's done in a way that benefits everyone. But why is the old way completely bad? Like everyone's trying to toss the the, the baby out with the, whatever that phrase is, baby out of the wash tub or bathtub. Bath, bath water. Bath water. <clears throat> like there's still good parts from the past system that's still viable. So to me, it says, you know, the old ways, the old way, never do it. The new ways not necessarily will work either or parts of it will, but not all of it. Um, Shannon here, I think the parts of it that people resist are, is the mindset. This, this conversation was around millennials, which at this point is an old conversation and I'm not terribly interested in completely resurrecting it. But it's like, oh, you have to pay your dues. Like you have to do crappy work, Jeff, to your point. Um, you don't get to do interesting work, challenging work. You have to put in five, 10, eight, 20 years before you can get up there. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that I do think that world is gone. Correct. And if, if that's your mindset and that's how you want to work, good luck. You better hire a lot of older people who can put up with that crap because it's not, it's not reality. I am, I'm much more on the side. We, Jeff, we call it unique ability when people are doing what they love to do and are best at, 
Oh my gosh. It's also, by the way, how to get, how to multi, how to get the best results, the fastest. So the whole idea of if finding people, so this would be my coaching. Mm -hmm. First of all, the world you're living in now is not the world you grew up in. So pay attention. Uh, Number two is there are some incredibly talented, gifted people who want to work, who want to learn, who want to contribute, find a way for them to make a difference in your company and don't penalize them and have them doing stupid stuff that frankly could be automated when there's creativity there. I mean, the track record of 20 somethings is kind of incredible in terms of creativity. So why don't we create an environment where they can win and be successful and see what they can do? Like my daughter, one daughter is 20, my other one's 23, and she is a go-getter. If I could hire her yesterday, I would. <laughs> like having her in my business, <laughs> having her partner, Sebastian, and, and like her friends whom I adore, the 20-somethings I know are hardworking, committed, talented, capable people. Like I do not want to diss them at all because they're amazing. And I just think we have to create an environment where that where they can win. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are dissing the hard work of the younger generation. It's just like with the millennials, even when I was growing up, people are saying we're lazy, we don't do anything. But I came to the conclusion that every generation has the same percentage of lazy people. Right. right? So She's just right. at the time of millennials, there was a hell of a lot more of them than Gen Xers because the number ratio, right? The percentage was the same. I, I know a lot of people I went to school with, they're lazy. They just wanted a job or they just come in, shut their brain off or give me, give me, give me entitlement. <laughs> oh but Andre, I think that is the best analysis I've heard yet. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And then it just, it's uh, like, I think part of the conversation is if we can find those diamonds in the rough, they're really hard workers and understand work and get it. But it's also dealing with the people who don't get it, who are entitled is actually the biggest frustration and they're making demands that are unreasonable. That's where <clears throat> I think a lot of conversation is not talked about. It's just what we want. Everyone expects this, but there's reality. And, and in a way you still got to earn your, your, your way in a certain extent that by being creative, if you've got the right environment, like Mark, you know, you're really getting to work in your, your environment the way you want to, your unique ability, and you're proving yourself by doing what you do best, and you're allowed to. So in a way, you're earning your keep by doing, rather than being pushed on what you're supposed to do and by someone else's measuring stick, we should be using our own measuring stick or the measuring stick for that person. Yes. This is James. I would add to that, to that business owner who is looking at this issue you have a choice to approach this from a position of challenge or curiosity. Mm-hmm. You can challenge it, right? And there's going to be some conflict because you may be trying to hold on to ideals and processes that you don't need to hold on to. You may or may not. I don't know. Only you can judge that. However, if you approach it with curiosity, then you have the ability to co-create with your younger employees to co-create as people are coming in to see if you can speed up that process to get them to be working in that unique ability. I think in the past, there was a longer runway to get to that unique ability. And we would possibly get there 10 years, we're working, we're, we're chipping away, and eventually it may become evident. Um, you know, we, there may be some discontent, there may have been discontent there and that discontent drove us to seek alternative paths until we found what may work for us. And for the younger generations, they may have a better sense of what that unique ability is, or at least that desire of what they want to be. And so you have the ability now to co-create this path with those employees to help them get there sooner. And that's going to increase your productivity. And when you have happy people that are working and your productivity is increasing, that should increase your profits as well. I love your, Shannon here, I love your your term co-create, James, Hmm. right? And that curiosity. And then there's so much opportunity. It's kind of ridiculous, right? I just, I love that. Jeff, you've had tens of thousands of people tour your factory. The first time that I walked in, and my boss prepared me, you know, Dan Rogers is a good friend of yours. Uh, by, by any standard, I mean, what you do for a living, you could have a sweatshop. I mean, you literally could, and you could be making money by running a sweatshop. But when I walked into yeah. your, your factory, it's open, it's green, there are plants, people are smiling, you've got a, a system to, to let people know when somebody needs help. I mean, 
that it's you've proven that there's a more enlightened way of doing all this. This all started back when you went to Japan and studied the Toyota mm-hmm. method. But but what what do you tell those employ, uh, employers? Because you get them all the time, and yeah, they're like, okay, yeah. where do I where do I start? Yeah, I always starts with the owner, right? So um, and um, however you became an owner, uh, some of them you know uh, were accidental owners, and some of them did it intentionally, but. Um, there's a lot of fear, at least for me as a, le- a leader, not knowing where to go and also um, not telling people I don't know where to go. So uh, this co-creation part would be, really be, um, you know, if you're an owner and you think you know everything, um, I can't help you. So if you're an owner and you know you don't know everything, then this group of people really can help you. Um, and harnessing that energy of that next generation is crazy fun. Um, like I, I actually don't look at their generation and say they want something different. I think that they deserve what the older people deserve too. And it really starts with uh, an embracing of, hey, they're human beings. Uh, they're here to create value. How do we create an environment that creates more value? Does it matter what color you are, where you came from, um, or you know how old you are? I just think that they happen to have experienced working in flow and can shed a light on it. What does it feel like to actually live that way? So, yeah, um, the owners are really, uh, to me, it's, it's uh, I'm always looking for, are you stupid or are you evil? If you're both, I, I can't help you. If you're stupid, it's okay, because I'm stupid too. Sorry, it's terrible, but it is just true. Yeah, so if you're stupid, we can help you, right? But if you're evil, I, I, I just don't help them. So an evil to me looks like you're selfish Fs that just want to make money for yourself. So if you're all about that, keep going and uh, ride it out and, you know, get yourself a golf course down in Florida. Um, but if you're all about creating value for society and you're willing to admit that you are building on the shoulders of men and women before you and you have some sense of purpose of, of what you leave behind in, in the, the next generation, then you have no choice but to embrace the truth and, uh, you know, get going, uh, harness it. So it really just depends on that leader. It's, it's what are you there for? If you're there just to make money for yourself, then uh, just ignore all this stuff and go back to making money. So, so Jeff, is this a? Oh, go ahead, Andre. I cut you off before you you got no, it. No, no, I'm go really ahead. impulsively. I do it impulsively. <laughs> Can't wait because now I forgot. No, yeah, I did. Go ahead, James. No, no, no. Go, go, go. You're good. Oh, seriously, it's gone. <laughs> oh man. So, so Boom. Jeff, I'm I'm, yes, I'm sorry, Andre. Jeff, is this a situation where your your approach is to whom much is given, much is required? Because Absolutely. you talk about yeah. the the business owner and their responsibility. And the assumption in the way that you tee this up is that the employee wants to add value. Now, what if you're running into that employee that has an entitlement mentality? They're not necessarily looking to add value, but they're looking out for themselves. How do you deal with those situations? A a direct conversation. And it's really just, hey, I see that you're able to create value. We had, had a guy yesterday playing solitaire instead of working. So we could say, hey, you're fired, you're out of here. Or we could say, Hey, buddy, playing solitaire uh, while you're working, when we're behind schedule, that doesn't fit who we are. We know you're capable. We, we know you're wicked smart. So this is a place where you can contribute. No is okay. So, um, and the excuse was he did take his meds and, you know, something like that. And it, it, I think that's a true answer to it because um, I think that he, he said, I just got distracted, didn't mean to. So my old way would have been, that guy's out of here. He's playing solitaire. Um, yeah. But so upon just showing a little bit of respect, but, you know, there are for sure people who want to just milk and, and receive. Um, and so we we aren't about that. We're about serving one another. So and we just are really, really clear. If you don't want to serve people, this isn't the place for you. Totally OK. We know we're weird. But if you're here, we're going to serve one another. And milk in the clock just isn't one of the ways you do that. OK, thank so, you. Yeah, Andre yeah, here. So along with Jeff was saying and what James was mentioning before, like, You've got a unique way of doing it, Jeff, and that has a lot to do with your values. So what I want to say to the business owner right now is just because it's all clickbait, you know, all these stuff, how you're supposed to do it, blah, 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 these surveys, in the end, do what you think is best for your company. Because every time I try to follow the trend, that's when I got in the most, most trouble. But the more successful people I've dealt with who've got long-term staff, all state within their own personal values from a company point of view, like around this table here, like even you, Mark, because I know you're a nice guy. Um, it's all about people. We want the right people around us and care about the people. And, you know, corporations, 
The only people that's important is the shareholders, right? So in reality, along with what Jeff was saying, it comes down to what's important to the company. And my last comment is, if you're not in a happy place, leave. There's a lot of jobs out there. Why stay there in misery and use that as an excuse to, to complain or entitle more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shannon, I wanted to ask about your kids because I've got a 19-year-old son in college and a 26-year-old son. The 26-year-old graduated uh, from Gonzaga with a degree in sports uh, management and digital marketing. And when he got out of college, he realized he didn't really want to do that. And so he started doing odd jobs on construction sites. And he started talking with some of the electricians on on the the job site and and discovered that that he wanted to do that. So now he's in a five-year apprenticeship program to become an industrial electrician. And when he comes, when, when I talk to him, uh, he just got married over the summer, but whenever I talk to him, he is, he just lights up. He's like, Oh my gosh, every day, dad, I'm learning. He works at a, they're building a new Amazon tower in Bellevue and he's probably going to be on that job site for two years. But he said, he's like, dad, this is so interesting. I'm learning stuff every day and he can look at what he did at the end of the day. And I'd love to hear from you. What I'm trying to touch on is that how work feels is so important for this new generation, isn't it? It hundred percent is, and I and I was laughing because first of all, raise your hand if you took a left turn somewhere in your own educational (laughs) career on your way to your. (laughs) All of us did stop starts, all the things, including my my eldest daughter, Um, and this is why I profile everyone and everything. We were talking about this before we hit Mm -hmm. record. because if, if like your son undoubtedly is more tangibly oriented and a profile like Colby, K-O-L-B-E.com, no, mm-hmm. no financial affiliation <laughs> um, to, to coach. We just love them because they do a great job, you know, because it's so hard to figure out what you love to do. You can go through education. You can spend lots of money getting educated and you get there and you're like, I don't love it. In fact, I don't even really like it. Or I don't like the people I'm with. And so for your son, finding work you know, a, for me, it was always like, with whom am I working? Cause, cause I need to find my tribe. It took me a few years till I found coach, but then I did love entrepreneurs, love entrepreneurial teams. Um, and then, but for other people, it's like, what kind of work is most fulfilling for me? And I, and then, and I, and kind of to your point, we're humans. We want this for ourselves. Why wouldn't we want this for the people that work for us? Cause we want this for our kids and they're going to go work for somebody. Of course we want this. And I think we have a lot more tools. We have a much broader mindset. Again, that's what you were talking about, Jeff, in terms of stupid and evil, which is a very fun way to talk about it. No, I love that story. It's true. Um, thanks for speaking straight. But it's, you know, the mindset's super important. But then the mindset, it used to be, I am, I'm a, I have to fit myself into the pre-existing box that was there. Now, we live in a much more creative world. Much, much more creative, Right. And now we have to, there's, there's almost a, too much choice for some kids and they're like, they're kind of frozen because they don't know what to do. Um, but I think finding work that they find fulfilling, meaningful, that they ha- are happy about. My, my younger daughter's um, boyfriend is mechanic. And I love talking to about, about cars. He's just got fast-tracked into becoming a master mechanic. He's 20 and he's in program with 28 year olds. Like it's kind of a big deal. And he's like, oh my gosh, I got to, I got to explain what a catalytic c- converter was to this mechanic who owns the shop because he didn't know because he hasn't seen it for 20 years. Okay. And he's like, he's telling me all this stuff. I understand about this much of it, let's be clear. But he's so excited. Same excitement, Mark, as your son. Every single day he's learning more. Every single day he's having fun. And I love that. I mean, I want people to be very fulfilled. And frankly, we need more <laughs> handy people in the world these days. So I think it's, I think there's just so much more opportunity for people to contribute in ways that are meaningful for them um, and to make a positive contribution than there ever has before. Because I think some of our blinders have been taking off. We want higher quality for a lifestyle for ourselves. And why wouldn't we want that for the people contributing to our value creation? Yeah, too? Shannon, I just want to modify one of your first statements there about the new generation is looking for fulfillment. I think everyone's wanted that. I think everyone wanted that. It's just if it wasn't the trend or we weren't allowed. And, you know, I think a lot of us were pursuing it. I think that's probably a lot of the problems was the burnout. Well, now it's more possible. It's possible. Right. Right. Before it was like a lot more constrained, like in the seventies. Oh no, there's none. No, shut up and sit down and do what you're told. (laughs) Right. And then then another thing, like remember, like I said, I was told I was changed my job five times because before I was raised by my parents, 
get that into like for Ontario Hydro was a big power company and get in there 30 <laughs> years and you're taking care for life. You should just yep. do that. Don't be an idiot. Don't go away. But then you're told at school five times you're going to change jobs in your career. But I think there's a new trend that's going to happen is we're going to completely switch careers. Like I'm 25 years engineering. My Lord, that's a lot. You know, it's a lot of people are going to get tired of 25 years doing the same thing. I think there's going to be career shifts at the 20, 25 year mark. Cause you know what? I still have another, even if you're 50, 55, you still have another 20 years of value, right? So there's a whole different dynamic there where you can fulfill your passion or your, or your purpose is another important thing that as entrepreneurs or company owners is what's the purpose of every worker there? I don't think if you, if you can tap in, I think Jeff's done this very well, tap into people's, well, I'm assuming because you're doing very well. You're tapping into people's purposes as well that matches your purpose and then they'll do anything because they're happy. As long as we're happy, money doesn't become a pro, uh, an issue for most people are having a good time and enjoying feel appreciated. And I think that's what's missed. No one's feel appreciated. Yeah. And Andre, what I would say, I, I'm a walking uh, kind of billboard for what you talked about after a 20 year career in civil engineering and, you know, 15 of which working for the National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine, uh, I launched my own company. Um, to pursue something totally different while I'm still helping people in that field, I'm doing something totally different. So mm -hmm. I, I think that I'm a walking billboard for what you're talking about. And to hit back on some of the other points that were was made earlier, it's true that everybody wants to have fulfillment and meaningful work. I, I think, and I, I could be wrong, past generations didn't see it as an option because they had to figure out how to make ends meet. And mm -hmm. then for some generations, they weren't aware of it being an option, right? Mm -hmm. it, it was elusive. And again, it, it may have evolved as right. we started yeah. to work, but we weren't aware. The level of awareness and the expectation of work-life balance and being able to live a, a life that you love and do work that you love and enjoy it is here now. And I don't think that expectation was or awareness was as wide in the past yeah it's like just to go on that like that's why i coined a turn the last time i think what like people now are not appreciating is there's a difference between cost of living versus cost of lifestyle and they're mm -hmm. but and they're mm -hmm. thinking the cost of lifestyle is actually cost of living but there's a difference <laughs> yes there is right and shannon here just to jump in i mean post world war ii it was about how to get a job and feed your family yeah Right, that was it. We're we're now we're we're well past that, and now we actually have I don't want to call it the luxury, but now we have new abundance, where other things are possible and other factors we can take lifestyle, not just cost mm -hmm. of living. That's a really good good term, Andre, um, into account. And I think I think that's key. Now we can look for satisfaction at work before we could only look for it, satisfaction outside in our families or our communities. Now we can include that with work. So we're living in a very, very different world than post-World War II. Jeff, you said something that, that really is uh, intriguing me, and that is flow. And we've talked talked about this before. And I think I'm having flashbacks because when I first started at a news radio station in uh, in Spokane, I was making five fifty an hour full time with a college degree. I I couldn't even support myself. I was living with my future in laws in their basement, and I went into my boss and I asked for a twenty five cent an hour raise, and he looked up over his glasses and said, "It's not in the budget," and then put his head back down and continued writing. Oh, wow! And I was like, uh, "Okay, um, that's the kind of environment that we all started in." Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Sit down. Be afraid. And fear was such a big driver, especially in the broadcasting industry, because they would have, you know, stacks and stacks of tapes of people who wanted your job. And and they let you know in, in, in no uncertain terms that if you didn't take what they were offering, they would find somebody to replace you. Talk about flow, because as you as you talk about flow, I'm going to pan over. Flow yeah. is something that happens. The drum kit. On now the we're talking. Now we're talking. When, when and I think all of us have something in our lives that we experience that flow state, and it's pure joy, and it actually happens at work as yeah, well, right? If, yeah, if you're lucky. And so, so yeah. yeah, talk about flow, Jeff. Well, I'm so glad that you brought up uh, music 
um, because I, th I believe that as a, as a teaching tool, um, it's such a great way for people to relate to it. So, um, so at a really high level, uh, I believe we're created. Uh, I know it's controversial where we live, but created to create value. Garden of Eden, there was work there. There's community with God, even if it's a story and you know, not, not about God. Something about creating value uh, has been recorded for quite a long time. When you play the drums, Mark, I know I can I, I can picture. Uh, I'm, I wish they could measure your metabolism at the moment you're doing that because I I believe fully that the science will show that your cells are being rebuilded, that it's it's nourishing to you. So, um, so from a perspective of, of manufacturing, it's just a very easy way to look at stupid things because if you aren't flowing one piece at a time you're going to be about 50% more expensive than other people. But when you start applying that to, hey, I was uniquely knitted in the womb to be Jeff. I'm really good at certain things. I'm really bad at other things. So um, if you put me in a job that I'm really bad at, I am never going to feel flow. Um, no. So so when I, when I hear you guys talking about the Colby and some of the other deals, it's, hey, know thyself so you know where to put yourself and then find people that are good at other stuff. Super simple. So when I'm doing what I love to do, I'm never working. I'm goofing off the whole freaking time, but it's not just for the business owner. It's for everybody. And so part of our responsibility as, as leaders is to have a purpose and a system of tools that allow people to discover that about themselves so that they can flow as well. Um, it just turns out that having a process and a business that creates flow for stuff, is very attractive to business people, but we normally stop there and don't apply it to what does it look like in leadership? What does it look like in org design? What does it look like in the way we talk to customers, attract customers, serve our communities? So everybody's experienced flow. If they have a hobby and they've done it, they, they've all said, oh yeah, I know what it feels like. And the beauty of music is mathematically we can assess, Mark, whether you hit the notes, whether you hit the tempo, we can actually mathematically prove that you've played it. But there's something that is very weird to me, which I can't explain, is the joy that I feel when you play drums, when you are in flow, it is contagious to me. And almost everybody who's watched a performance of flow, a musical performance, uh, artistic performance, band kids marching around on a football stadium, they all will say, yeah, it was perfect. And when I ask them, what happened to your body? And they're like, oh, my body freaked out. Can you explain that? No. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is the application of flow is really, for me, everything. Do you know yourself? Are you in a job that, that, that can do that? Do you have friends who are good at other things? Now it can be a team. What are we aiming at uh, moving into the future? Uh, yeah. So I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but perfectly, yeah, yeah. perfectly and, said. And I'd love Shannon to jump in here because uh, strategic coach is, is, you know, uh, an industry leader at finding your unique ability. I'm just starting through uh, the book uh, because uh, I'm interviewing Shannon's sister Julia, uh, later in the year and talking about unique ability. Shannon, you guys have, have really discovered that it, how important it is to know who you are and what you're good at, right? hundred percent. And, and Jeff, when you said know thyself, I'm like, yes, cause that's, that's like one of my mottos and my pretty much my only personal rule is I trust people to the degree that I think they know themselves. If someone, if someone doesn't know themselves, I don't trust them. They probably shouldn't trust themselves. You don't know what to do yeah. with them. Right? And so know that it's, it's I, all my clients, all my, be it team leaders or, or 10X entrepreneurs, it's, that's the deal. So I, and that's why I know a ton of profiles because it's a very fast way to get to know yourself in, in a quantifiable way. Is it your whole? No, but at least it lends itself very, very interestingly. Um, and it, what I love about it, you, so unique ability, just to give you a simple definition, is what you love to do. So it involves your passion, involves your heart. It's not just your head. Uh, it's it's also what you're skilled at. You have superior skill. You are better at it than most people. And that's not just your ego talking. This is other people like, oh my God, you're amazing. And you're amazing. And you love it. Your eyes light up. You lean in, right? Like that's pretty epic right there. It's also where you're a hero to other people and you create value. Um, the other two characteristics is it gives you energy. Like you might be physically tired, but in every other way, your cells are all very happy. Limitless <laughs> energy. Limitless energy. And this is the little bit of a contradictory, well, paradoxical part, I should say, is that you, because you care about it so much, you can always see room to get better. 
And that's where in our lovely culture, we go, oh, if I can get better, I mustn't be very good. Eh, wrong. Um, when you have superior skill, passion, it gives you energy and you can always room to get better. That's our one of our definitions. Yeah, refinement. I usually refer that to refining yourself and with your abilities. And the other thing yeah. too, just to add on to Shannon's comment, this is Andre. Um, the, the unique ability is not only in the career you're in. You know, I got my no, unique, my unique ability is applicable to engineering. It's also applicable yep. to my uh, podcast. It's even applicable to when I'm doing stuff with my kids or the hobbies that I do. So it's 100%. a transferable anywhere. It's just an innate talent that you have wherever you need it. That's where it shows up. The other thing, and I think this is relevant kind of to changing careers a little bit, James, that you were talking mm-hmm. about is and what I find this a lot with entrepreneurs. So, and, and what, what you used to say, I love coaching. I've been coaching. I was coaching business owners when I was 18 and, and knew next to nothing, right? <laughs> I've gotten substantially better at it in the last 40 years. Uh, however, it, but who your audience is, who do you love to coach? And that's what that, if people get bored with their careers, if they get tired, if there's, it's not brownout when you're doing your excellent abilities, but it's more, it's not burnout, it's brownout. Yeah. You're like, been there, done there, got 18 million t-shirts. I'm just done. James, you may have felt this. Yep. And then you have to up your audience. You have to find people who are interesting and challenging and people whose problems you haven't solved yet. Yep. Right. That's, that will keep you alert. So the other, there's what you're doing, but then with whom is another aspect of unique ability that's incredibly important. Um, and, and, and who do you want to build? You know, Andre knows this expression. Who do you want to be a hero to? Right? That's, that's the audience. It really is an audience thing for your unique ability. And when you can do that, you are one happy camper. Yeah. Um, so I love coaching 10X entrepreneurs, 10X teams, 10X team leaders. That is 100% my audience. And when I'm doing it, none of my attention's on me. It's always on them, which I think is one of the facets of, of flow for sure and unique ability. Yeah. Now I do want to throw one thing. <laughs> There's another way. So, and this speaks to my Colby a little bit. So if anyone's familiar, three fact finder, two follow through, nine quick start, five implementer. So I picked up a hobby during COVID because I didn't want to be baking all the time. It's my only domestic talent. And I don't like dead limbs on my oak trees. So I picked up a battery operated chainsaw. <laughs> I also experience, I would call it flow, or at least if I'm not paying attention to that, it's not tree limbs I'm cutting off, it's my own. <laughs> so I have to be careful because it just requires complete and total focus. Um, but it's also joyful. I do it with a good friend of mine and we have a blast. And she's she's older, which is kind of fun. Two of us are out there chainsawing. Um, but so there's, but yeah, but I'm still, I'm still making a difference. And it's actually, we figured out one day, it's actually, I want to create a space that feels really good. And once I've done that, nothing else gets cut. It, so, and I, and I like doing that with people. I do like doing that with our company. So even though in a strange way, it's a different way of thinking about your ability. I'm to trim still, your limbs to be a better person. There you go. Done. <laughs> I'm not chopping off any fingers there, Jeff, I promise. Just one a day. 150 hands, no problem. Actually, 300. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. As someone who grew up on uh, in a very rural setting, I completely relate to what you said. Hundred percent, it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's, I'd love to. Uh, I don't want to wind things down because this is so amazing. But I think we we have to start winding down. And I I want to just start this. I, I, James mentioned co-create, and I think that's probably the thing that hit me uh, the hardest in in this conversation. So when we talk about entitlement versus advocacy. You know, um, we're talking to those young employees who who might have to get up the courage to go in and sit down with their boss and say, hey, I've got some ideas about what I think would make my experience here better. And I think it's actually going to be good for the company, too. And I just love uh, just a little bit of uh, you know, a, a statement from each of you as, as we as we part here, you know, just just some basic good advice for both employees and employers. Uh, as, as we as we sew up this entitlement versus advocacy uh, topic. So James, why don't you start out? You know, as you say that, Mark, I think through very something very similar to what Shannon just talked about in terms of knowing your audience. And so for that employee who is going to talk to that business owner or that manager, understand what's important to them. Just like you don't want them to dismiss who you are, 
and the values that you have, you can't, you can't do that to them either. So you have to be able to take that into account when you're approaching this conversation. And when you're approaching that conversation, you approach it from a perspective of how can you generate value? How will this move? How will these, the responsibility or the project that you want to work on or the, the way that you want to move forward, how will it benefit you? But also how will it benefit the company? And how will it support the vision or the task or whatever that leader whom you're talking to, what do they have to accomplish? And so I know that's a lot to consider, particularly if you are um, younger coming in, but these are the, these are mistakes that I made when I was coming up and did not do that. And, and so I'm giving you the advice that I wish I would have had, or I wish I would have been aware enough to receive at that time. That is so wise because I'm just flashing back to times where I did the same thing and and it didn't end up very well um, yeah. because I was just kind of blind to 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 their position. Uh, Andre, how about you? I just want to. I, I gave my gold to my company. This I want to be the dumbest person in the company. Mm-hmm. I want to bring smart people around so that they can do things. I got the vision, but I want to be the dumbest person in the company. And at the same time, I've always looked at it where what did I not like when I was growing up in the careers. And I try to change that. But it was what was important to me. Like, I don't have people. I want them to only work 40 hours. And we tell them right in the interview because I don't want burnout. We need to rejuvenate. We need to have fun with friends and family. Like, stop working. I don't want you to look at emails at night. But we communicate that because I didn't like that. I didn't want to be owned. And when I'm home, let me be at home, even though I can't. Entrepreneurial is a different story. But in the end, what's important to you? Like Jeff was saying before, what are your values? Stick to them. Not everyone is wired to be on your bus. So stop trying to get everyone on board. For me, I realized the hard way. There's a certain type of people we need on our bus, and we, we weed them out, and there's nothing wrong. Everyone's got a certain place. If, if, you, if you're working for a place that's highly competitive and they really want to screw each other, well, you know what? There's a lot of people that like to work that way. Let them go there, right? And then I'm not that yeah. way, So, but at the same time, our little entrepreneurial company, engineering company, is not for every engineer because we, we, we make decisions. We make different decisions. And believe me or not, like, engineers don't like to make decisions that are outside the rules. Hmm. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, Shannon, how about you? Oh, I want to echo what both James and Andre said. Uh, instead of the entitlement mindset that we were talking about at the beginning, come in with a partner mindset. So it's like, so one of my things about having a, a good entrepreneurial attitude for a team member is know know what your strengths are, know yourself well enough to know what you can contribute, know what you won't. I mean, I actually went into my very first job before coach and they were trying to hire me for reception. I'm like, you don't want me to do that. <laughs> Amen. What 21 year old says that? <laughs> Nobody. Right? But I was cocky enough. Stupid a, a very enough. wise one says that. <laughs> right? And they did hire me for the other job, which is how I met Strategic Coach and the rest is history. But I knew myself well enough and I was right. And I didn't even have Colby back then. But I knew myself that that would be a disaster. And I don't, I don't mind failing forward, but I don't like failing when I already know the answer. So I think. <laughs> For the for the team member to treat them like treat themselves well and respect and know your own talents, don't be ignorant about yourself. Good yeah. lord, that's the one person you have domain Stand over. Stand up on. for yourself. Yeah. Well, and and figure yourself out. Do all the profiles. Do the things. It's not a big investment. It might be a better investment than some schooling. So know yourself. But then to your point too, James, know the environment and come in. It's like, oh, I want to create value for you. What are your, we call them dangers, opportunities, and strengths. What are your goals? What's your vision? How can I contribute? Who are you looking for? What does success look like in this role? Hmm. I think I can do this. I don't think I can do that. I think I'm a right fit. I don't think I'm a right fit. And they'll be like, holy mackerel. All of a sudden you come in at a partner level instead of this little like, peon just wanting to say anything that is to get the job like don't don't do that the the last kind of piece of advice and this is one you know you give your kids advice and most of it doesn't work the one thing i think i, I did land on at least in this world used to be you just got to be good at one skill these days i'm telling everyone who will listen get good at three things one is technology the other is business the third is your passion 
And it's, it's a Venn diagram, right? And those things, so my one daughter was design. Well, now she's in professional communications and doing really, really well. But it's like when, when you can, people need to be multidimensional and good at those three, like their passion, whatever it is, but also technology and also business. I think with that, you can, you can mix and match and combine, figure out who your audience is and you'll be off and running. So that would be my specific advice for someone entering the workforce but also know yourself, be a partner, and take into account, as we've been talking about, the, the company that you're looking for and find out what they're about and see whether or not you're a right fit. I still think that's applicable to the company owner as well. Mm-hmm. I do too, 100%. <laughs> great. Jeff? Wow. Mark, she took your spot. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to being an interviewer. That is so great. Uh, four podcasters and Jeff. This is quite a start of a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think to it, I, I think all your advice is great and, and it really comes down to context. So I, I, I think I find in most places that I don't have enough context to give advice um, about that situation. What I can say is uh, when I'm spending time with young people, it's like, uh, you know, we'll help them take, not Colby because I don't know about that one, but, you know, we'll help them take tests. Do you know what you're good at? Do you know what you suck at? Like, you know, so what, what can we do to help you become more capable? I think the more universal advice would be learn the laws of the universe and just start working and serving people wherever you're at um, and then choose wisely. So the organizations, the friendships, your uh, service to the community uh, and the job that you're, you're at. Uh, if the company is all about growing you, you'll know. Uh, and, um, you know, you're young, so make changes, experiment. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard question to ask because um, those of us who have been in a situation where you know the timing is wrong, but you know that I need another quarter an hour to make ends meet. Right. So there's no budget there. Not no amount of error expressed at that man was going to cause him to give you 50 cents an hour mark. So there's so much about timing on this to be like, yeah, don't don't waste your time with those people. Right. So, uh, yeah. So it really be about uh, self-development and, and choice um, and, and getting more capable. Um, and um, there aren't too many laws against serving other people better. So you won't find yourself if you are a servant. You never have somebody saying, you're too kind. You're too loving. You, you're, you're filled with too much grace. You're learning too quickly. And no, nobody complains about that. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that's useful, but yeah. Yeah. Can I throw in one last comment? Um, I was listening to a great podcast interview with Tim Ferriss and Arnold Schwarzenegger, whose new book is called Be Useful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right, which kind of sums up just some of Whatever you do, just be useful. Which is Dan's been saying that too. That's his his kind of motto, which Mm. is awesome. And and then there's one other thing, Andre, that you said. It's like really own and and I don't want to say protect, but be aware that there are boundaries around your company culture. There are some people who are right fit for your organization, some who are not. And the more you keep that really strong, like I liked your coaching, Jeff, of your person, it means you will attract the right fit players. Right. You'll really attract the right people and then you'll be able to keep that that culture that is so so important to you really, really strong. Hmm. Thanks. Well, this has been just really uh, satisfying. Um, and I wanted to just leave our listeners with something because I went for, you know, 35 years in television news, a very formal, structured corporate environment, a lot of a lot of fear. Uh, and I'm I'm in this new environment uh, created by my boss Dan Rogers, and what's been interesting is that I've actually I've been living since January of this year. I've been living this new experience of an enlightened company, an enlightened boss. And I'll tell you, I mean, like when we had we restructured Dan restructured our our time off policy. Uh, we call it oscillating time off or something like that. OTA. Uh, and and what's interesting, I, I raised my hand. I'm like. Do I, am I hearing you right? You're shutting the company down for the last half of June and the last half of December just to give us some time with our families and to recharge. And then you want us to take an additional four weeks off uh, plus holidays. And and we're working a four-day work week. And I was just like scratching my head. And his only response was, because like I'm I'm still, you know, like I have PTSD from my last year. <laughs> and, yeah, and, I, and he said, I trust you guys. Yeah. And I was like, holy shoot. And he said, you guys will figure out how to do this. And so what I want to encourage uh, you know, employers and, and owners, 
is that when you take that step to honor your employees, like I find myself sometimes, I, I'm a night owl. That's I'm a I'm a I'm a late proto, uh, prototype or no late chronotype. chronotype. Yeah, and so I'll be up here in my office at ten o'clock at night working sometimes because it feels good, and I'll be logging an interview on Saturday, and and I went to drum camp in Germany a few weeks ago, and and I'm living this life that is absolutely unbelievably enjoyable and fulfilling. Yeah. And it happened because a guy believed in me. And yeah. and it's the opposite of yeah. the fear that you spent the last 35 years in. So that must be amazing positive shock to your system. Yes. Absolutely. And and you all are proof that when you take this approach to life and to living and to work, um, amazing things can happen when you start to honor other human beings. So I just want to thank all of you. I love each of you. You guys do such amazing work in the world. And every time we come together, I learn something new. And I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Just, just, just lesson after lesson after lesson. So I hope we keep in touch. And I just want to thank you, each of you for your time and wisdom and for what you, what you do to show up in the world. Well, so thank you. I honor Super everyone fun. here. Mark, thank thank you. you. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Beats Working, part of the Work P2P family. New episodes drop every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to show producer and web editor Tamar Medford. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from our Contributors Corner and Sidekick Sessions. Join us next week for another episode of Beats Working, where we are winning the game of work.